Welcome to the Next Level Youth Podcast. Here you will find sermons and content from Next Level Youth. We meet every Wednesday night at 6 p.m. at the Palace of Praise Church. We hope this content challenges and encourages you in your walk of faith. Let's grow in Christ together. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. You can leave that up there. He shall bruise your he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. What does that mean? It means this is a foreshadow of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ that Jesus Christ would come and that his heel would be bruised, but as his heel would be bruised, he would crush the head, he would bruise the head of the enemy. This is symbolism. This is a sign. This is a promise to mankind that I'm going to come to earth and I'm going to take care of this problem and all these problems that you created. I'm not going to leave you to your devices. And this was the first promise that God made mankind. It's a beautiful thing. And this verse, Genesis 3.15, and many other verses throughout the Old Testament tell us that the answer to man's sin problem is on the way and that a solution would be offered to us. But that solution would come with a price. Tonight we look at the price of victory. Tonight we look at what Christ's victory means for mankind. Tonight we look at what that victory is going to cost us. Tonight we wrap up Romans 6 Verse 23, and the title, if it had to have one tonight, is this, The Price of Salvation. Last week, it was The Price of Sin, and this week, we're talking about The Price of Salvation. If you could put Romans 6.23 back up there, we'll be referring to it the rest of the night. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The preacher in me wants to just break it down word by word, and I'm not going to do that. We're going to do this a little bit differently. But this is our focus. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Forgiveness of sin, eternal life, salvation. What is salvation? Who's heard this word, salvation? You ever heard it before? Simple definition is this, deliverance from the power and effects of sin. You can't deliver yourself from sin and its power and its effects. But Jesus came to save us from ourselves. This salvation, this verse, it says it's free to us. That this was a free gift of God purchased in full for mankind through Jesus Christ And tonight we're going to break this down into three main things. Three main things. Are you ready? I'm just going to tell you right here. We're going to jump right into them. Number one, we're going to look at what salvation costs God. Then we're going to look at what him paying the price of salvation means for us. And then we're going to look at what salvation costs us. And if you didn't get that down, it's okay. I'm going to say it again. Let's get right into it. Number one. What does salvation, what did salvation, our salvation, cost God? It cost him an immeasurable amount, a hefty price. It cost him his son, Jesus Christ, one of the Godhead, coming to earth, leaving heaven, leaving God's side, and coming to earth. It cost him 
everything. It cost Jesus Christ to experience things that he had never experienced before. You have to understand something. When you look at the story of Jesus and him coming down to earth, you might think, oh, what's the big deal about that? One of the big deals is this. Y'all awake out there? Slap your neighbor. One of the big deals is this. Jesus Christ had never had to experience suffering of any type. No sin in heaven. No suffering. Zero. But when Jesus came to the earth, what did he become susceptible to? What did he experience? Suffering. Anyone that teaches you that Christianity is not about suffering, you need to run. Anyway, that's, that, maybe I shouldn't even have said that without more context. Suffering. Jesus Christ suffered spiritually. He literally fasted for 40 days, no food, no water, and was literally attacked by Satan himself. He was attacked, attacked by religious leaders. He was attacked by Judas. He suffered spiritual suffering. He suffered mental suffering. Jesus went through an immense amount of stress because he knew when he came to the earth, he knew what awaited him. And as he got closer, you see that weight come to fruition. You see the weight on him and the stress he experienced in John chapter 17. Go read it for yourself. He experienced emotional suffering. He experienced anguish in John 17. He experienced anguish in the garden. It's financial suffering. Jesus likely was very poor. It seems pretty clear to me Jesus was poor. He experienced relational suffering. He experienced isolation. He experienced thousands of people saying, peace. He experienced someone so close to him being literally the one that betrayed him to his death. He experienced that. Then he experienced physical suffering on the cross. Eventually a suffering, the epitome of of all suffering the cross. Jesus knew that this was what awaited him. Matthew 16, 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be, ra be raised. He who has ears, let him hear. He who has ears, let him hear. That is not in that verse. I'm speaking that in this place. We don't see crucifixion a lot going on in the modern world around us. Is it going on in other countries? Yes. But crucifixion, it was a type of ex execution that was first come up with by the Persians in around 800 B.C. And the Romans, the ones who would crucify Jesus, had perfected it. They had perfected the way to make someone suffer the worst kind of pain for the longest amount of time before they would die. That's what they did. The Jewish man, historian Josephus, said that crucifixion was the most wretched of deaths. It was humiliating. It was public. Most of the time, the reason that death came to someone that was crucified was this asphyxi asphyxiation. I have a problem with that word. Asphyxiation. That means that they would suffocate. They couldn't breathe. Some people that were crucified, Jesus, that didn't happen, but they would be there as long as nine days. The very word, who's heard the word excruciating? You heard that before? Raise your hand. You heard that? You know where that originated from? Crucifixion. Excruciating pain. 
that came from this. And when it came to Jesus' crucifixion, he was in the garden. Go read it. You can go read it for yourself in the four Gospels. Pick one. I like John. A lot. And Matthew and Luke and Mark. I like them all. Jesus was blindfolded. He was beaten all night. He was scourged. He was flogged with a cat of nine tails. What is that? It's a whip. It has a big handle. It has the leather. Tanglies. The word avails me. Leather strings. And it has glass and animal bone in it. And they would tenderize the skin like you would tenderize meat. And when they got it to a point, it would hook in. And as it hooked into the skin, Roman soldiers would take turns pulling it out as hard as they could to see how much they could get off of someone. Oftentimes people died during this time. It was common that ribs would literally of people, this didn't happen to Jesus because not one of his bones were broken. Ribs would literally fly off of people's bodies. The word of God tells us that Jesus Christ by the time this was over, was unrecognizable. That you wouldn't know him. Even if you were his best friend, you couldn't recognize him from physical appearance alone. It wasn't possible. Isaiah tells us that. He was given a crown of thorns. And it was all about mockery. It was all about pain and mockery. To make a fool of him, which he was not. After this, being beaten and made fun of all night long, being scourged, being flogged, Jesus Christ carried a cross that weighed hundreds of pounds for miles. Did he get help? Yes, eventually he did. But as he done this, historians believe, scholars believe that he probably had a collapsed lung. He had severe chest trauma, that his lungs were probably literally filling with carbon monoxide. And they pulled out Jesus' beard, and they spat on him, and they mocked him. Pulling out a beard was them saying, you're not even a man. We despise you and everything you are. They nailed his wrist and his heels into a cross, onto a cross. And in this moment on the cross, the evil of mankind, all the sin, all the evil, all the horrible things that man had done, was doing, and will do, in that moment on the cross, all of that gets poured onto Jesus. All of that sin, he took it all, he bore it all. And in that moment, God the Father had to turn his face from his son. And that's something that had never happened. For all of eternity, he had to turn his face. And for the first moment, Jesus Christ experienced what it was like to not be connected, not be in relationship for a moment, in a sense. That probably is the best way to put that, with his father. He experienced separation from God for the first time. Jesus did not fear physical death so much as he dreaded the loss of this relationship with God and with the Holy Spirit. And God the Father, as he took our place and emptied our cup of God's wrath, drinking every last drop, Jesus knew 
that by going to the cross, he took on our sin. He stood condemned in our place, dying as our substitute. He knew that the Father's wrath would be poured on him. And for the first and only time in eternity, he would be separated from the Father and the Spirit. Totally abandoned and handed over to endure alone. And as this happened, as Jesus was on the cross for hours, no evil, mean, backhanded word came out of his mouth. Go read the account. It's only grace. It's only grace. And then, the word of God tells us, John 19, verse 30. Then Jesus says, it is finished. And he bowed his head. And he gave up his spirit. And darkness fell upon the earth. They buried Jesus in a borrowed tomb. The darkest day in human history, literally and spiritually, the darkest day. The word says that darkness fell on the earth. But the darkest day in human history was followed by the greatest victory. In human history. When Jesus does exactly what he said he would do. The story doesn't end on the cross. It doesn't end at the cross. It doesn't end with the words. It is finished. It doesn't end with death. Because Jesus Christ three days later. Rose from the dead. He rose from the grave. Defeating sin. And defeating death. But in doing so. Jesus paid the price for the wages of sin is death. Jesus paid our wages. Jesus paid the price. And he paid it in full. And he paid it by living a perfect life. As I said at the beginning. By dying a sinner's death. A death he did not deserve. A death that you and I deserve. And defeating it by rising again. Are you with me? Hebrews 9.22 Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. Without blood, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. 1 Peter 2.24 He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. 1 John 2, 2. He is the full payment, the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Jesus paid the price. What did, God co- what did it cost God to save us? More than we can imagine. But since Jesus paid the price, what does that mean for you and I? What does that mean for us? What does it mean for mankind? Moving on to the second thing. What does it mean for us? What does Jesus paying for salvation mean for us? It means everything. But I'm just going to put it, I'm just going to say three big things. I'm just going to say three big things. One, it means this. We don't have to get what we deserve. You know something that ticks me off? You know what like the newest marketing scheme is? You deserve it. 
You deserve death. I deserve death. Let me talk about me, because I don't want you to feel attacked. But as I say me, I'm talking about you too. I deserve death. I deserve hell. I deserve no good thing. Without Christ, there's no good thing within me. Because of Jesus, I don't get what I deserve. My wages was, were death. Death. I deserve eternal separation of God, hell forever. I deserve full punishment for my wrongdoing. But because of Jesus, I don't get what I deserve. <laughs> do, do you hear this? Do you hear what God is trying to tell you? Our God is good. And because He is good, He is just. And that means that no evil goes unpunished. And I've, I've used this analogy before. And I didn't come up with it. I heard it from another pastor. But every single person that's alive right now has a cup. And it has their name on it. Think about it like this. And every single evil thing you do, it keeps getting poured into this cup. And one of two things happen with this cup, or have, have happened. Either Jesus Christ drank your cup, your cup was poured on him. He took it all. He took all your sin. If you're in Christ, he, he drank your sin. He, it was poured on him. He took all the wrath that you deserved on the cross for the sins that you've committed in the past, the present, and the future. Or, one day, that cup of wrath is waiting on you and you're going to drink of it forever. And it's not going to be rainbows and butterflies. It's not going to be some in-between heaven and earth kind of experience. It's going to be hell. It's going to be horrible. Full payment. So you can either let Jesus... Pay it for you, or you can pay it for yourself. It's our choice. But because of Jesus, I don't have to get what I deserve. I don't get that cup that I deserve. I deserve the cup. I deserve 14 cups times 3 billion times infinity. Beat that. I, I know somebody's going to say, infinity. You jerks. Second thing, God loves us. First John 4, 9 and 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son in the world so we might live through him. Love made manifest. Love put on display. So we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but he loved us and he sent his son for the propitiation of our sins. There's that word propitiation again. He loves us, but not because of anything we've done. He loves us simply because of who we are. He loves you because you're His. And some of you in this room, this, these things have been illuminated to me lately. I've just been thinking about them. Some of you in this room don't know what it's like to experience a kind of love that doesn't love you for what you do. 
or what you've done, but it just simply is a love because of who you are. When Jesus Christ came to the earth, he hadn't done anything that we can see recorded in Scripture, really. But Jesus gets baptized, and what does God say about his son? Before he does anything significant that we read about, he says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Done anything. Why did he say that? Why did he love him? Just because he was his son. And some of you have parents, and you have friends, and you have a girlfriend or boyfriend who you feel like, and you've been led to believe that the only reason they care about you is for what you have to offer them. Whether that be intimacy or sex or performance on a sports field or performance in the classroom or doing the chores at home carrying the weight that you weren't meant to carry at home. Some of you have never experienced this love that says, I just love you because you're mine. And that's the love of God. He doesn't love you because of anything you've done. He loves you because simply, if you're His, He loves you. Do you understand that? It's not about what you've done. He loves us because we are his, nothing more, nothing less. Number three, God does, God does not need us. He wants us. And I know I say this a lot. But I hope that you remember this for the rest of your life. Man, God doesn't need you at all. God wants you. He wants you now, and he wants you forever. God doesn't need our praise. We need to praise him. God doesn't need your money. We need to give him our money. God wants you. Last thing, lastly. We know what salvation costs God, at least somewhat. And we somewhat know we could talk for hours and days and weeks what it means for us. But what does it cost us? What does it cost us to be a recipient of this free gift? I love that, he, that, that the writer puts free gift. Free gift. What does that mean? He's given it to you because you didn't earn it. It's just because you're you and you're his. Free gift. What does this free gift cost you? You might say, well, I don't really know that it costs me anything. Now, understand this. If you could put verse 23 back up there, Josh. I'm almost done. I really am. Um, this gift, you put it this way, and you see it in the scriptures like this, because it can't be earned. And it can't be unearned. It, it can be rejected. It can be rejected. Now, but here's the thing. It would be really dis deceitful of me to stop the sermon right here and say, hey, let's have an altar call and you come accept Jesus. It's free. That would be deceitful of me. So I'm not going to do that. Let's go to Luke for a second. Luke 14, 
25 through 33. This is our last, like, scripture we'll really look at, like, really look at for just a moment. If you have a Bible, the heading in your Bible, this is what it probably says. Something to the effect of the cost of discipleship. Oh, I thought this was free. Hold on. Hear me out. Hear the word of God out. Now great crowds accompanied Jesus, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and child and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross, your mommy and daddy can't do it for you, and come after me, or your grandma, your praying grandma, come after me, cannot be my disciple. I think that that sounds pretty clear to me. Cannot. Hmm. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has a foundation and is not able to finish it, all who see it will begin to mock him. Saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great far away off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. Verse 33, last verse. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Now, just to be clear, when Jesus says, hate your father, mother, brother, children, sister, he's saying you can't put them, you can't center your life around them. You're supposed to center it around me. He says, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. The gift of salvation, the gift of God in Christ Jesus who paid it all, It's free, but it's going to cost you everything. It's going to cost you everything. It's simple, but it's not easy. It's free, but it's not cheap. We don't always like to furkish. Yeah. Verse 23. What does it say at the end? In Christ Jesus, back to Romans 6, are what? Huh. Christ Jesus are what? Huh. What do lords do? They rule, they reign, they are the authority. Over you. Hmm. Jesus is saying, the gift's free. You can't earn it. You can't earn or unearn it. I paid the price. I paid it all. But you got to give me your life. You got to let me be the Lord of your life. It's time to stop going your way. I hope you understand that if you're going your own way, if you're infected and affected by sin and you haven't met Jesus Christ that your own way leads to death 
It leads to eternal punishment. Your own way is dumb. It makes no sense. When you've got Jesus Christ saying, hey, here I am. Your flesh says you want to do this, but there's something inside of you that knows that there's got to be something more. There's got to be a different way. There's got to be a way that leads to life. Jesus Christ says, I am the way, John 14, 6. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes back to God except through me. Life is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. And you can spend your whole life chasing yourself and your deceitful desires and doing what feels right and feels good in the moment and it's going to leave you dead. But Jesus says, I got a different way and I want you to come this way and I'm going to, I'm going to be with you every step of the way. Putting a bow on it. And then we're closing. Romans 5, 15 through 17. And then we're done. Then the Lord will do what he does. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more. Have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, trespass death reigned through that one man, much more. Will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Where are you today? Are you dead? Is your cup keep filling up? Or are you alive because Jesus Christ drank that cup for you in full on the cross? The free gift is here. The gift of redemption, salvation, forgiveness, freedom from the effects of sin and the power of sin is in the room. It is here. It is free. It is costly. But there's nothing else worth living for. He's here. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Thank you for tuning in. God bless.